Good morning. My name is Tom Buter, and I'm the Discipleship and Congregational Care Pastor, New Covenant Church. I welcome you here this morning as we come to God's Word. Please turn your Bibles with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 14. 2 Chronicles 14. Last week we were in 2 Chronicles 13. We'll keep moving through the kings of Judah as we have opportunity. As we come to the Lord's Word, let us briefly address Him in prayer. O Lord, this is your word that you have given. Give us eyes to see, minds to understand, and hearts to perceive what you would teach us as you have given these things and pass them down from generation to generation. O Lord, your words, your statutes, your commands, your instructions are all together lovely, and they are trustworthy. Help us to trust you by believing in your word, for, your, for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Second <clears throat> Chronicles chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa his son reigned in his place. In his days the land had rest for ten years, and Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the Asherim and commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. He also took out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the incense altars, and the kingdom had rest under him. He built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, for the Lord gave him peace. And he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours, because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us peace on every side. So they built and prospered. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, and armed, armed with large shields and spears, and 280,000 men from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots and came as far as Marashah. And Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up their lines for battle in the valley of Zephathah and Marashah. And Asa cried to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak, Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar, and the Ethiopians fell until none remained alive, for they were broken before the Lord and his army. The men of Judah carried away very much spoil, and they attacked all the cities around Gerar, for the fear of the Lord was upon them. They plundered all the cities, for there was much plunder in them. They struck down the tents of those who had livestock and carried away sheep in abundance and camels. Then they returned to Jerusalem. And for the sake of time, we'll skip to to chapter 16 and continue reading. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa... 
Baasha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending you silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they conquered Ejon, Dan, Abel, Mayim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And when Baasha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and, took his, and let his work cease. Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber, with which Baasha had been building. And with them they built Geba and Mizpah. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you shall have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in stocks in prison, for he was in rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties on some of the people at this time. The acts of Asa from first to last are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in, this, in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought the help of physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut for himself in the city of David. They laid him on a bier that had been filled with various kinds of spices prepared for by the perfumer's art, and they made a very great fire in his honor. This is the word of the Lord. You've heard of the tortoise and the hare, which is one of Aesop's fables. As there's a tortoise and a hare, and the hare is arrogant and uh, confident and says how great he is, how fast he is, how nobody is faster than him, uh, much to the frustration and dismay of all the other creatures, particularly the tortoise of all the creatures, is annoyed at the hare and says, I will race you and I will humble you. Uh, the hare obviously thinks this is a joke, doesn't take him seriously, but decides to agree to the race. And the tortoise and the hare race, and all the creatures are watching, uh, not because they really think the tortoise has a chance, but because they're thinking, why would the tortoise want to race the hare? And as you know, the hare doesn't run his best race, takes a nap in the middle of it, the tortoise continues on steadily and wins the race, shocking the hare as he wakes up too late, tries to catch up, and it's just, it's just too late. And the Aesop's fable of the tortoise and the hare is just a simple story about uh, keeping on running, not being arrogant, uh, the proud will be humbled, things of that nature. There's different, different versions of the story and there's different emphases. Uh, one interpretation I'd like to maybe present to you is uh, one you could probably clearly see. It's not how you run the race, it's how you finish. The tortoise finished well, the hare, yes, he finished strong, but he slept in the middle of it and uh, it led to a 
uh, not a stellar finish. How you finish defines you. Now, Bible is not Aesop's fables. I don't want you to come away thinking about that, but Aesop's fables can maybe illustrate something that we see in the Bible. Ecclesiastes 9.11 says, the race is not to the swift. Uh, So we can see that there's perhaps common grace insights with some of Aesop's fables. And uh, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says that, as he uh, writes about the Old Testament, he says, these things were written for our instruction. So things about Asa were written for our instruction even today. So Aesop has lessons, but they're not revelation. But let's take a look at what I just read, which is God's revealed word, which is instruction for you and for me. Asa had a hard race to run. He was going to be king for 41 years. He didn't know that. Uh, but he was, because his father only reigned for three, he probably could have guessed that as a young man, he might have reign, reigned a long time. He had a hard race. He has great lessons to teach you and I in his first 35 years. He destroys wicked things that people loved. He opposed his own family. He relied on God when an army came to destroy him. He worked hard to build up his kingdom. Do you want to run the race that Asa had to run to rule well, honor God for 41 years? Well, the Lord is calling you to run a race. You don't know how long it is, but he's calling you to run a race and to run it well and to finish well. So Asa has a lot to teach us in the first 35 years, but he has an even bigger lesson to teach us in his last years. He started well, he ran hard, he took courage, and oh, by the way, while you're at it, don't take a nap in the middle of your race. Finish strong, as he did not. So the three points we'll be looking at this morning uh, quite easily come from our text if you look at the headings in the ESV chapter headings, his reign, his reforms, and his rage. I skipped over chapter 15 because I'm not going to read all of it, but we're going to take a look at it. So first, Asa's reign. Abijah, his father, had a short reign. It was only three years, and he was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God. But the first thing that we're told about Asa, the first thing that we see is in verse 1. In his days, the land had rest for ten years. Uh, there's, usually, there's not very many statements like that in, in Chronicles. There's often lots of conflict, like it said with Abijah. There was war all his days between him and Jeroboam. In Asa's days, there was rest for ten years. This is probably a benefit of the great victory of Abijah that we looked at last week, where Abijah relies on the Lord, he prays, and defeats his enemy. And the Lord gives them peace and success. And the next thing we're told about Asa is that he did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord, his God. It's the first time we hear something like that in the book of Chronicles. Uh, King David was a king after God's own heart, uh, but we, we hear of his great sin. Solomon is turned away by his many foreign wives. Rehoboam, uh, it was a bit of a disaster as the kingdom splits. Abijah is not wholly devoted to the Lord, even though he... He does have his finest hour, but Asa does what is right and good in the eyes of the Lord. And so he depends upon the Lord, and he shows godly leadership. And the kingdom benefits from his good leadership. The people benefit from this. And so it is helpful that the text tells us not just that Asa did what was good and right, but it tells us some of what he did and some of what he did not do. So, what are some of his actions? 
Well, it tells us that he removed the foreign altars, the high places, the pillars, the ashrapoles. There's a long list of problems in the kingdom. And it also tells us what he did do. He exhorted the people to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and commanded them to seek his law and his commandments. These are good things that a king should do. And Asa does these things. Uh, we see the, the description of his actions is kind of like an obedience sandwich. If you look at uh, verses uh, 3 and 4, it says it talks about what he took away, which is a good thing. It talks about what he told the people to do, which is uh, commanding them to seek the Lord. And then in verse 5, it says that he took out all the cities, out of all the cities of Judah, the high places and the incense altars. So he was obedient to take away things, he was obedient to do things, and he was further obedient to take away things. And in the middle, the emphasis, the meat of that sandwich is seek the Lord. And what's the result? Verse 5 at the end, the kingdom had rest under him. The second time rest is mentioned. And then verse 6, and the land had rest. And he had no wars in those years, for the Lord gave him peace. And so they built and prospered. So you see the emphasis on rest, peace, no war, prosperity. This is not a health and wealth gospel, but it is a simple description of seek the Lord and don't necessarily know what's going on in the world around you. It may be chaos, but seek the Lord and you can have the peace that Isaiah says. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. And so he leads the people to turn from sinful things and turn from their wicked ways, and he leads them as a good king. And what, so what he teaches us is uh, an example, uh, a lesson in finishing well. Uh, to finish well, it is good to start well. You'd be saying, well, I haven't started well, so I guess I'm not going to finish well. Well, that's not what it necessarily teaches. We know plenty of people that have uh, not started well, but they finished well. Think of the thief on the cross. We also know plenty of people that started well and don't finish well. We're going to you know, think of um, <clears throat> King Saul, who has a good start to his reign, but we obviously see that it does not end well. But how you start is important for how you finish. It's going to play a role. Benjamin Franklin said, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. He had the order correct, early to bed, early to rise. How, how, what happens on Saturday night is going to impact how Sunday morning is going to go. How you start, it goes a long way in how you finish. And so this is, these are not laws, these are proverbs, right? Uh, this is advice. And so what we see is that the, some of the proverbs you might read in the book of Proverbs, you see them enfleshed when you read through things like Chronicles or First Samuel or the Kings or other historical books. The proverbs take on, on, uh, on flesh and bones, and they're not just dry sayings that we apply when they're perhaps useful or when we can remember them. But we see uh, that Asa acts in the wisdom of Proverbs, of his great-grandfather Solomon. And so Asa starts well. But there's another thing that he does uh, in his good start that reflects his obedience to the Lord. And this is what he does not do. He doesn't go to war. Uh, we saw with Abijah, Abijah in uh, chapter 13, verse 3, Abijah went out to war. So Abijah started that big battle with Jeroboam. Uh, and the Lord gave him success. 
Uh, but we see that the Lord gives great peace, lasting peace to Asa, as Asa does not seek war. He doesn't seek to solve the problem of this divided kingdom with his own ideas or his own strength. And he says, this land is still ours. So let's build it up. Let's prosper. Let's cultivate what the Lord has put in front of us, and let's not seek to recapture what has been lost and re- seek to go back to the glory days under Solomon with this large and prosperous united kingdom. We can prosper even if there's just two tribes. And so there's a sense of humility. Now, he doesn't go to war, but he does get ready for it. He doesn't seek it out. He's not one to put daisies inside of gun barrels. He had an army, and it was large, and it was equipped with large shields and spears and men who could draw bows. Uh, he fortifies the cities. He's prepared. He's a good king. He's wise. But he's not like his father or his grandfather. Rehoboam goes out, seeks to gain back the kingdom. He fails. Abijah goes out uh, and gets himself into a big pickle uh, and gets out of the pickle but doesn't regain the kingdom. And so Asa fosters peace. This is a stark contract with his own father's behavior, uh, but it's in, in line with what the Lord Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of the living God. Why is it said of him that he does what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God? I think it's said of him because he seeks peace. And yet in his seeking peace, war still finds him. Verse 9, the Ethiopians come against him. And so even though he seeks peace and Asa is experiencing blessing, he's having some of the good life, we might say. Trials still come. The blessed life is not a free trial, Right, free trial. I love free trials, a good product at no cost. It's not a free trial, but uh, um, it's also not trial-free. In fact, if you want to be blessed, you will experience trials and persecution. As the Lord Jesus also said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Peace does not last, uh, but his trial does come. So the Ethiopians come against him in Judah. In verse 9, it's Zerah, the Ethiopians, with a million men and 300 chariots. And Asa goes out to meet him. This is probably the largest army recorded in the battle, in the Bible. A million men. It's huge. This is a great trial and test of faith against Asa and Judah. And Asa meets Zerah, the Ethiopian, in battle, and he gathers his army, the army that he's prepared in his wisdom. But he doesn't make a speech like his father does He doesn't make a speech. He has a prayer, and it's short and quick, perhaps because he didn't have much time as the Ethiopians were coming against him. And so he prays, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. We can learn a lot from this little prayer. Uh, Probably needed to be quick, but... Uh, It still packs a good punch for us to teach us. He recognizes who God is. says, O Lord, there is none like you. He recognizes that he just needs to make a request. He needs to get right to it, not using a lot of flowery language. He just says, God, you are, there's none like you, and we need your help. His request is plain and simple. And then he connects the request to God's own will of desire. The Lord seeks to vindicate himself and seeks to vindicate his people. And so he says, Lord, we've come out against them in your name. Let not them prevail against you. 
kind of uh, puts a little skin in the game for God. And so uh, this is a request made in line with uh, what God has said about Himself, that He will come to the help of those who are oppressed. He will come to the help of those who are in needy. And Israel is far outnumbered, and they are in great need. The men of Judah need the help of the Lord. So you can pray like this. This is how you can address God. You can just say, Lord, this is who you are. And you can make your request, plain and simple. You can plead. Uh, and it can be, uh, there's a scene in one of my favorite movies, The Little Rascals, as they burn down the clubhouse, and Alfalfa is uh, the, the culprit. And they put him on trial, and Spanky, their leader, uh, is the judge, and he's got his, his gavel made of, I think, tomato soup or something. And uh, he says, how do you plead? And Alfalfa gets on his hands and knees and he said, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. And one of the, one of the other little boys in the club says, hmm, that's some pretty good pleading. Uh, and that's, that's, I think, how the Lord might have looked at Asa's prayer. He said, that's, that's some pretty good pleading. And so the Lord wants to have a relationship with his people. He wants us to pray. He wants us to depend on him. He wants us to call out and say, oh, Lord, we need you when we really need him. Because he wants us to depend on him. He wants you to depend on him like you have no other options. Because you don't. So it was good pleading. Asa had good pleading. And the Ethiopian army is utterly defeated and driven away. They flee before Judah's men. And so Asa withstood this test of faith as a good king. And so these are the things that define his reign. Godliness, peace, prayer, reliance upon the God of his fathers. These are the things that are described of him in chapter 14. It'd be wonderful if the account actually just stopped here. Like, wow, Asa's great. Be like Asa. But it doesn't. He has a long reign, 41 years. It's the, up to this point, it's the longest reign, and there's going to be only one other reign of the kings that lasts longer. So you'd hope for a reign that lasts that long that it's a good one, not a bad one. And it is. He's a good king and has a great reign. His long reign is reflective of life. We don't just ride into the sunset after we pass the test. We wake up tomorrow and we have to do it again. We have to rely on the Lord every day. So Asa keeps on ruling and ruling well. So this leads us to chapter 15, which I did not read, but I can skim it for us. The Spirit of God comes upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he exhorts Asa. This, this man, a prophet, of a, of a sort, words not used, but this is what prophets do. They come to kings and they say, keep pressing on. Don't, don't let your hands grow weary. Rely upon the Lord. Let me tell you about those times when there was nobody to teach the law, when, when the people were far from God and there was distress among the people. There was no peace in the land. You have started well and you've put the priority on the Lord and His Word and on reliance on the Lord and it is going well with you. Keep it up. This is uh, Azariah's exhortation for him to keep it up and take courage. Asa then responds as soon as he hears these words. He responds to the prophecy of Azariah and he took courage and he puts away the detestable idols from the land of Judah and from Benjamin and from the cities that he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord. So again, it's not just what he does to remove things. It's, you know, that's kind of the negative, destroy things, destroy bad things. But there's also a positive. He rebuilds the altar that has been torn down. And so he's trying to restore right worship of the people with the Lord. So he, he, he keeps pressing on. Maybe, maybe Azariah comes to him as he's having a little bit of a, 
a mid-reign crisis. Uh, he's, he's reigned for about 15 years at this point, as we see in verse, uh, verse 11 or verse 10. Uh, he's reigning for about 15 years, so his reign has been far longer than his father's, brief, short, three-year reign, and it's almost as long as his grandfather's 17-year reign. So he's kind of getting into uncharted territories. Like, how do I keep, how do I keep doing well? How, what's next? I've kind of done all the good things that my grandfather and father really didn't do. But what's, what's next? I still, still might have what he doesn't know is 26 years in front of him. Uh, and that's why Azariah comes with this exhortation. And so he, he takes courage and his arms are strengthened and he continues to remove idols and he continues to restore worship. And we see further blessing and this good response uh, to this uh, ordinary type of... Uh, of need for reliance on the Lord. We need to rely on the Lord not just when the great crisis comes, but in the, in the day-to-day as we're thinking about how do we keep pressing on. And so we see that he restores this right worship. But notice verse 9. He gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who were residing with them. For great numbers had deserted to him from Israel when they saw the Lord his God was with him. So this is a wonderful thing. Asa hasn't gone out to war to try to regain the ten tribes. He has sought peace and sought to strengthen his own kingdom and sought to worship the Lord aright. And men from three different tribes in large numbers start returning to the kingdom of Judah. And this is how it, uh, it ought to be as we would uh, want to be. Even This is an illustration for evangelism and for witnessing. It's not to go out and take and conquer a, a hill in the name of Jesus, but to worship the Lord, to seek to put away uh, idol- idols and not to follow an idolatry, and to seek peace. And generally, it's obviously Jesus spoke of, blessed are you for being persecuted for my name's sake, but generally there is, uh, there's positive things that come with seeking peace. And so Asa seeks peace, and we see this remarkable turning of people from the northern kingdom to come into the southern kingdom. And so he keeps pressing on, and the Lord is with him. Now, there's a little bit of a, a conundrum in verse uh, 8 as he continues to remove idols. You might think, well, didn't he already do that in chapter 14? It, it, did, did the idols just pop back up, which is kind of one explanation? He got rid of them. Fifteen years later, they're back. It's like whack-a-mole with idols. Um, or perhaps chapter 14, which is hyperbole, he's removed most of them, so it's as if he removed all of them, and now he's removing all of them. There's different explanations, but I think it, the answer is in the words themselves. In, verse, uh, in chapter 14, it says he removes all of the foreign altars and the high places and breaks down the pillars and cuts down the asherim. Uh, verse 5, he takes them out of the cities of Judah and the high places and the incense altars. So he takes them out of the cities of Judah. And now when you go to chapter 15, verse 8, it says he takes them out of the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities that he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim. So now he's regained a couple of cities uh, from the northern kingdom and he's left the idols there, but now he he presses on to remove them. So uh, it seems like he cleared out the cities and now he's clearing out the countryside. Uh, He'd gone about halfway and now he's going the whole way with... Uh, removing idolatry. So we can see even the example here that sanctification is a process. It's a work of God's free grace. Rarely does everything get changed overnight. It takes time. Uh, and we're thankful that the Lord is gracious with us to give us 
time as we might have a hard time letting go of idols. And so he uh, exhorts the people in this worship service to not just follow the Lord, but he also says, has them take an oath in the worship service as they uh, turn from idols and they turn towards the Lord. He has them take an oath, and anyone should be put to death if they're not going to follow uh, the Lord. And so, uh, as he leads the people in worship, he leads all of them, even these Ephraimites and Manassites and these Simeonites who have returned to the house of David. And so we can see that this is uh, Asa being a good king who leads his people, and these are true believers who leave their ancestral lands, they leave their kin, they leave their families, and they say, your face, O Lord, I do seek. So even as you see the, the, the Manassites and the Ephraimites and the Simeonites as they leave these things, I would ask you, what, what are you willing to leave to rely on the Lord and turn to the Lord? Are you uh, willing to forsake your idols? Do you you know, this isn't saying to abandon your families, but perhaps maybe to abandon the praise of men. I'm sure that these, these men of the northern kingdom face questions of like, what are you doing? Why would you leave this land that the Lord has given us? And so, uh, to seek the Lord, uh, there's a call here that is a great encouraging call, as you might uh, face the temptation to seek the praise of men, uh, not to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. But uh, look, at, look at verse 15. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath that they had sworn with all their heart. And they had sought the Lord with their whole heart and all their desire. And he was found by them. And the Lord gave them rest all around. There's a promise encapsulated in this description, right? Just describing what they did and what happened. But there's a promise here. The promise is if you seek the Lord, you will find him. You seek him in his word, you seek him. The way he has uh, ordained to be, be sought, which is his word and through the things that he's revealed, you will find him. And he does want to be found. So uh, think of the famous philosopher Bertrand Russell, uh, who was known for his great knowledge and his testing of knowledge, and he thought deeply about things, and he, he gave Christianity a look. Um, and he tested what he saw in Christianity with his great knowledge. And he, he really shook his fist at the universe. And his, his judgment on Christianity was, I have looked for God, and I have not found enough evidence. General Revelation is an open book for us to experience and to read. Romans 1 says that those who have read the book of General Revelation are without excuse, for uh, the things of the Lord are plain, as He has created things, and He has put a sense of a knowledge of himself within every man who is made in his image, which is every person. So seek the Lord, and he will be found by you. Uh, Bertrand Russell wasn't seeking the Lord uh, as he would want to be sought. He may have looked at the universe, but in his hardness of heart, he couldn't see what the Lord had made plain. So I exhort you to see what the Lord makes plain, even here, that he wants to be sought and sought in spirit and in truth, uh, that we would take courage and not grow faint. And we take on the exhortation of Azariah in chapter 15, uh, and to keep pressing on, uh, not just starting well, but to keep on running well. And there's even a further test for Asa at the end of chapter 15. He makes the, has this worship service, they have this oath, it's this great time of coming, coming together for the people, 
And then I think everybody's looking at him and saying, so what are you going to do about your grandmother? Right? She's, she's got idols within her own house, which is probably not far from the palace. So even Makah, his mother, which is probably his grandmother, since Makah is um, the mother of Abijah, listed in chapter 13, um, the Hebrew doesn't have a word for grandmother. So they use the word mother for both of these things. So he removed her from being queen mother. She had great influence over the household because she had made a detestable image for Asherah. Asa cut down her image, crushed it, and burned it at the brook Kidron. So Asa, it says, is true. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true all his days. Again, a statement of his faithfulness to the Lord. He's so faithful to the Lord that he will oppose his own family. Not that that's the test perhaps for you, but it could be. It could be to be uh, tested with your family pulling in one direction and the Lord uh, calling you to uh, follow Him in another direction. There more needs to be a willingness of the heart uh, rather than the specific actions to unnecessarily offend people. So in chapter 15 we see here another aspect of finishing well is not just to start well but to run well. And Asa's in the middle of his race kind of in the dog days of his reign, but he keeps on running well and he keeps on pressing well. So this brings us to our third point. We've seen his reforms, our second point there, but we also see now we've seen the third point, his rage. Spoiler alert, he doesn't end well. So he's an example for us on how to start well and run well, but sadly he doesn't end well, as you can see when I read chapter 16. And so he faces yet another test, another trial. Life keeps coming at this king. So the, the chapter, chapter 15 ended with 20 more years of peace, right? There was no more war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. So 10 years of peace, a few years of the middle of the reign, and then 20 more years of peace. This is a long and prosperous reign, and yet the trials keep coming. This time it comes from the northern kingdom, from Baasha, the king of Israel. And Baasha is one of seven kings that Israel has during the reign of Asa. If you go look at the book of Kings, you get the kings of Israel. Kings of Israel are left out in the book of Chronicles because there's really nothing new to be said about them. Just go read Kings and you'll just see they're all bad. Not one of them is a good king. And so Baasha is one of these bad kings of the northern kingdom. And uh, he's, Asa's had 40, going to reign for 41 years and going to have seven kings during his reign. Uh, and Baasha's king, uh, reign lasts for 24 years, so he has a long reign by uh, northern kingdom standards. And he's a great military leader. That's how he took control as he turned the army against the previous king and killed him and took control. So you see there's, not, there's a lack of stability as house turns against house. And he's the one who destroys the house of Jeroboam. And so Baasha comes against Asa with his army, and he comes with a very strategic purpose, as we see in verse 1, to build up Ramah that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. As we saw that the men of Ephraim and Manasseh and Simeon were coming into the kingdom of Judah, they were returning to the kingdom of Judah. This is a migration problem. It's not an immigration problem. And it's an emigration problem for the kingdom of Israel. Uh, Asa, uh, Baasha's losing taxpayers. He's losing people. 
losing potential soldiers. This isn't good. So he's trying to stabilize things by having this wonderful kingdom with an army that forces you not to leave. It's, uh, it must be such a wonderful kingdom if uh, the, the, the government there is, uh, is very intent on you not departing. And so Asa, his first reaction is, well, I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask the Lord for help. No, that's not what he does. His first reaction is to take the silver and gold from the treasure house of the Lord and the king's house and send them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus. His first reaction is, where is there a person in the world who can help me? He doesn't rely on the Lord. He takes uh, tithe money from the temple, the house of the Lord, that's where he's getting money, and he takes taxpayer dollars, so he's misappropriating tithes and taxes, and he bribes the king of Syria to fight this battle for him. Does he not think he can win the battle? Does he not think that he has built up enough strength and that the Lord has been so faithful for so many years that he can't win this fight? And so uh, it works, right? Sometimes our lack of reliance on the Lord and our reliance upon ourselves or upon men, it actually works in the short term. King of Syria comes against the king of Israel. Israel, and in their haste, they leave the, the, uh, the wall that they're building, and they turn and go fight Ben-Hadad, and Ben-Hadad has the, the victory, and it's very, very convenient for Asa. And Asa then doubles down on the convenience. He runs over to the construction site. He takes all the tools and all the materials, and he brings them to his own cities and continues to fortify, so he's not just turned away an army. He's gained construction equipment. Uh, you can see that Old Testament kings and little boys are not so different, are they? They just want to build forts. But God is not pleased, and he graciously sends a messenger to confront Asa about his sin. Hanani the seer is one of those messengers who gets shot, right? Don't shoot the messenger. Well, a lot of times the messenger gets shot. So uh, Hanani brings this message, and the message is, Asa, you have been a fool. 35 years the Lord was faithful to your reliance on him, and now you've sought the help and made a covenant with uh, a foreign king, and you've wasted all these riches, and you've sought to build up your own strength. You have not sought the Lord in this. You will have wars. You will not have peace. And Asa is cut to the heart, and he's humbled, and he repents. It's not what he does. He's enraged. He's angered. It's like we have a different king than we've seen for the previous 35 years. And so Asa is a fulfillment of Proverbs. A king, Proverbs 16, 14. A king's wrath is a messenger of death. He imprisons Hanani the seer. He locks him up in stocks, puts him in prison. Uh, he imprisons Hanani for Hanani having to follow his hard calling in life and to confront the king to his face. And not only does he imprison Hanani, but he is angry, and he inflicts cruelties upon some of the people at this time. He had been leading them in worship. He had been turning their hearts to the Lord. He'd been exhorting them to seek the Lord, to find the Lord, and now he is changing into a cruel king. It is sad to see someone not finish well. And so he's made a 180 change. He's uh, perhaps over these years, now he's, he's not a young man anymore. He's entered the later years of his life, the last years of his reign. He's been king for 35 years. I think he knows 
that the finish line is somewhat in sight, uh, and perhaps he's grown fearful uh, or thought maybe through his own experience, maybe, maybe so many years of peace, so many years of prosperity, he's come to a sense of, you know, I was pretty smart to, to, uh, to make that prayer. That was a pretty good prayer. Probably the prayer saved me, not really God saved me. Or, you know, I really, I really cleaned this place up. It was, it was a pretty good accomplishment on my part uh, that I cleaned this place up, and it's been so good for so long. Whatever it might be, uh, he had been seeking the Lord, and he'd been secure in the Lord. He'd been running well, right? Paul said to the Galatians, you were running well. What hindered you? That's our question for Asa. You were running well. What happened? So Asa uh, sees that his, his uh, sins are still ahead of him, right? What, what do you do when you've made a mistake? What do you do when you sin? Well, the Sunday school answer is you repent, but it's not what Asa does. We don't see that. We see a, a regression in his sanctification. So these final years are depressing. He's, he's never satisfied until uh, as he sees, as he sees de- sin coming for him, and his sin will give birth to death, and that's the way sin works. Is sin isn't satisfied until it sees death come. And so Asa's own death is depressing. Uh, his 35 years of peace bring final years that are anything but peace. They're not peace as there are wars. There's not even peace as he inflicts cruelties on the people. And that's not all. There's yet another trial. You can see that even with these trials, the Lord perhaps is being merciful. Uh, even as trials are difficult, the Lord is merciful to bring the trials, to test us, to turn, him in rel- turn us in reliance upon Him. And Asa gets another trial, and this is a disease in his feet. This is a severe disease in his feet. And this would be another opportunity to turn to the Lord, to rely on the Lord and see how the Lord might deliver him from this affliction. And that's not what he does. Instead, he turns to physicians to help. Now, this isn't to say you can't turn to physicians and seek medical help, but this is to say, are you relying on the Lord and perhaps the means that he's giving? And Asa shows no reliance upon the Lord. It shows more where his heart is at. And don't miss the irony here that for a king who started well, he was running well, and now he is starting to stumble at the end. The physical description is also a spiritual description, a disease in his feet. Right? He's not walking very well with the Lord, and then he ends up with a disease in his feet. And so he, he ends sadly. I mean, he ends looking up almost like some of the beggars that Jesus would have encountered with diseases in their feet, and they're asking for a morsel of bread. He, ends, uh, he started out like a great king, and he ends up perhaps not even being able to get himself out of bed. As he ends sad and cruel and angry, and yet the Lord is still going to be gracious, right? Because in chapter 15, it says that Asa's heart was wholly true to the Lord all his days. So he doesn't stop being a believer. He just stops growing. And that's the exhortation that Lord's grace is we ought not to stop growing. We ought to be encouraged that we can still grow. There's going to be sin still ahead, but there's also an opportunity for repentance still ahead and sanctification and the Lord's grace. Here's the good news, as we see here. There's a lot of good news. One, and the good news in this passage is that if we rely on the Lord, He's dependable, and He will deliver us. The deliverance may not look the way we want it to or the way we expect it, but the deliverance does come. 
Number two, God says to seek Him, and He will and wants to be found. That's grace, what the Lord says, I'm not hiding from you. Seek me, you'll find me. And third, the Lord lets grace define us and not ourselves to define us, because Asa doesn't really define himself well at the end, but the Lord defines him according to grace. And so the Lord doesn't define us according to our sins, but defines us according to our repentance and according to uh, the righteousness of Christ that He sees in us by faith. Right? We persevere by faith, though we may stumble or we slow down in the process of sanctification. The Lord can still say, according to grace, He's saying, you're still my child. And so nothing can separate us from the love of God. We can't even separate ourselves from the love of God. That's grace. And so we can even learn a bit about grace when we look at the final word of the text. What's the last word in chapter 16? Honor. Even though we see this cruelty of Asa at the end, we don't see a strong finish, the Lord still lets him be honored at the end. He is buried with honor. Uh, Because the 35 years that came before are a greater testimony to who Asa really was than the six years that came at the end, though we don't ignore the six years. So have you you seen how God is gracious to a sinner? Have you asked Him to show you His grace? Have you sought Him and have you found Him? Have you begun to rely on Him? Because here is what He promises. If you ask Him, He'll give you grace. If you seek Him, you will find Him. And if you rely on Him, you will finish. For isn't it uh, these earthly kings who teach us about Jesus Christ the King? Asa starts well, he runs well, he doesn't finish well. But Christ the King started well, he ran well, and he finished so well that he could say, it is finished. Amen. Let's pray. The Lord in heaven... We give you thanks for your great grace that defines us according to faith and not our own works. For what are the works of man but things that are detestable and to be removed from your sight? O Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ who has finished the work of redemption upon the cross, has nailed our sin there, and has made a way for your grace to work in us that we might grow more and more in Christ-likeness. O Lord, Help us to rely on you, for we need your help, and we seek you, O Lord, and we thank you that we can find you, and that you give us peace, and that we, we are with you, and that our, your love is never separated from us. So we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you for your word, which testifies to him through and through. Amen.